Father God, we pray that you'll be glorified by what is brought now. That Jesus will be lifted high. The Holy Spirit will have free flow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now the subject that I'm going to speak on is the victory of Jesus Christ over the devil and all evil. But first of all, I'd like to mention Jean's garden. (laughs) Uh, As some of you know, uh, we moved out of our house in the middle of November. And uh, people have been looking after us ever since. Uh, Jean and I are kindly being looked after by Andrew, Amy and Anna. um, Having already spent time with our friends David, Marilyn and Peter. Now, our daughter Rachel, who's been moving with us, she's being looked after very kindly by Sue Baker. Now, they're two artists, get along very well, and um, praise you, Lord. The God's people are truly wonderful, aren't they? Um, anyway, back to Jean's garden. Jean loves gardening and misses having a garden to tend. So, we currently have two orchids, a small pot of narcissi sitting on a small tray, resting on some plastic sheeting in our room. So the garden's about that long. (laughs) Now, if we turn to the Bible, we meet that ancient serpent, also known as the devil or Satan, in chapter 3 of Genesis, in a slightly bigger garden. Uh, I'll read those verses now, verses 1 to 7 of Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of them were opened, both of them, and they were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now God had created everything and declared it to be very good. Adam and Eve are an innocent couple, yet without any sense of shame. They're naked, but without any sense of shame. And they're delighting in God's creation and tending the garden. The appearance of a talking serpent, who is both crafty and cunning, appears to hint at a possible threat and of evil having entered the garden. As the account continues, we learn that this serpent is an enemy of God. The serpent deliberately misquotes God's command to Adam and Eve, saying, God said they must not eat from any tree in the garden. Actually, God forbade eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the other trees were good to eat, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden. The serpent also deliberately avoided using God's personal name, Yahweh, 
or the Lord when addressing Eve. So there's something about this serpent. It just shows how important it is to listen to what God says and not what the devil says. Now the devil will try to tempt us into thinking badly about another Christian or the neighbours or anyone we might meet. He will try and root bad thoughts in our mind. He will tempt us to disobey God and follow his own evil suggestions. If he is able to do that, he will do it. Which is what Adam and Eve did. Sin entered the world. And after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, God began by cursing the serpent. And in Genesis 3, 14 to 15, we read, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now this hope of one who would come and crush the serpent's head came to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is clearly presented in the New Testament as defeating the devil while at the same time being bruised. Writing about Jesus, the author of the book of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 2, 14-15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now it would be understandable if people were to conclude from these verses that Jesus' defeat of the devil would only begin or start when he died. Because the writer says, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. However, when Cornelius, a Roman centurion in the Italian regiment, asked Peter to speak to him and his household. We have in Acts 10.38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So the groundwork for Jesus' victory over the devil on the cross began during his life on earth as he healed all who are under the power of the devil. The devil must have become aware that this Jesus could be his future conqueror because time after time he tried to kill him. Use Herod to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem, his vicinity, but God warned Joseph and they escaped to Egypt. In the wilderness temptations, the devil attempted to persuade Jesus to avoid going to the cross by taking short-term alternatives, not realising that Jesus was determined not only to lay down his life, but also to take it up again in obedience to his Father's will. When a crowd attempted to push Jesus off a cliff, Jesus walked through them unharmed. And when a crowd sought to make him a political king, 
and liberate Israel from the Romans, Jesus set his face towards bringing in a heavenly kingdom. So Jesus' destiny was very much to bring in God's good news to all people, to heal the sick and diseased, to drive out demons, pose the devil's servants in whatever form they came, to order nature into place when it threatened his followers and himself, to raise the dead, thus proving his resurrection and the life, and to set free those imprisoned by their sin and their sinful nature. So he sent out his disciples in pairs, 72 of them, to heal the sick, to preach good news, and drive out demons. Uh, in Luke 10, 17-20, we read that the 72 returned with joy and said, The Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When Jesus declared, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, it's unclear whether Jesus saw a vision of something in the spiritual realm or if this is a graphic declaration of what was actually happening. Either way, Jesus indicates that Satan's power over people was being decisively broken. The words like lightning from heaven describe the suddenness of Satan's fall when it comes. Now, when I received my last school report, it didn't say, must do better. But rather, Colin must learn not to procrastinate. I remember it to this day, and it was a long time ago. Needless to say, I now know that procrastinate means putting off to tomorrow what should be done today. As my next session section involves entering the book of Revelation, about which Christians have many different views, procrastination seemed like a possible way forward. <laughs> However, there is so much that thrills me about this book, and especially chapter 12, that I decided to proceed anyway. I hope you will stay with me as I seek to explain verses 7 to 12 and a few other verses of Revelation 12 before proceeding to what Jesus' victory over the devil means for us personally. Right, 7 to 12, Revelation 12. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, 
and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. So verses 7 to 12 reveal what was occurring in heaven while Jesus was defeating the devil on the cross and through his resurrection. In verses 7, verse 7 rather, of chapter 12, we meet the archangel Michael. He is a warrior in the angelic realm who's described in Daniel as the great prince who protects Israel. Here he fights in heaven while the true Israel, Jesus Christ, battles on the cross. Then war broke out in heaven, in verse 7. is not referring to a literal battlefield, but rather to a legal battle and judgment, perhaps in a heavenly courtroom. And they lost their place in heaven, verse 8. means that Satan's prior privileged place of accusation granted as a temporary privilege, were no longer granted to him or his angels. The great dragon is comprehensively described in verse 9 as that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Devil and Satan, respectively, means slanderer and adversary. As we saw in Genesis 3, the serpent slanders God by questioning God's motives in commanding Adam and Eve not to eat from a particular tree. Satan deceives them also into thinking that disobeying God will have a positive outcome. Being hurled to the earth and his angels with him by Michael and his angels will be seen to greatly reduce the devil's role. Um, of deception and slander. The hymn of verse 10 to 12 interprets verses 7 to 9 and shows that what Michael does is a heavenly reflection of what Jesus does on earth. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection have resulted in Satan, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, having been thrown down, in effect, excommunicated from heaven. Satan's job has always been to accuse the saints. Evidence of this can be found in Job 1, verses 6 to 11, Job 2, verses 1 to 6, and Zechariah 3, verses 1 and 2. And from these references, it becomes clear, well, apparent, that the devil was permitted by God to accuse God's people of sin. He also questioned God's character where Job was concerned by stating that Job would not have been so faithful to God if God hadn't put a hedge around him and his household, everything he has, protection, and if he hadn't blessed the work of Job's hands uh, so that his flocks and herds were spread around the land. The devil's accusations are based on the correct assumption that the penalty of sin requires the judgment of spiritual death. And it could appear as if the devil has a case. Because until the death of Jesus Christ, God received all deceased Old Testament saints 
into his presence without exacting the penalty of their sin. God had delayed executing just punishment for their sin for a very good reason. Paul confirms this in Romans 3 verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Even so, the devil's attempts were unjust because the sins about which he accused people in order to get them punished were instigated by deceptions. Now this is why he's called the deceiver and accuser in verses 9 and 10. It's also why we should not be deceived by Satan's accusations. He will pour all manner of evil suggestions into our mind if he can. Now I believe good questions to ask when this happens are, is this something that God will put into my mind? Does this demonstrate God's character? Will this reflect the likeness of Jesus Christ? Does this come from the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Good questions. So, when we're attacked in our mind by the enemy, these are good questions to ask. And they answer the question. Because God doesn't tempt. Anyway, uh, it's because Satan's accusation were unjust, because of the anticipated redemptive death of the Messiah, for God's believing people, the Old Testament saints were protected by God from the damning outcome of Satan's accusations. When the Lord Jesus came and laid down his life on the cross, his death satisfied God's anger against the sins of all God's faithful people, both those before Christ and those after. Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice, the spotless substitutionary lamb who purchased by his blood a redeemed people from every nation under heaven. He bore the just judgment of God on human sin with the result that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now no one can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen, neither angels nor demons nor Satan himself. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. Amen. In Romans 8, 33 to 34, we read, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now, two things are important. The devil has been thrown out of the heavenly courtroom and barred from the counsel of God. Jesus Christ has ascended to the right hand of God and intercedes for us. There's a displacement of the devil and an accession of Jesus Christ. But the devil... Don't, so I'm getting ahead of myself there. The decisive and legal defeat of Satan occurs as the kingdom of God is inaugurated, uh, begun, uh, 
now have come, in verse 10, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. The final and complete destruction of the enemy and all evil will occur when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to establish his kingdom in its completed or fulfilled state. The, consuma uh, the consummation of the kingdom, in other words. And, and, and it's that will be when God takes for himself and his Messiah the rule that had previously been give, allowed Satan to have over the world. I must say that again because I mixed it up. Um, the consummation of the kingdom will be when God takes for himself and his Messiah the rule that he had previously allowed Satan to have over the world. And this is described in chapter 11, um, verses 15 to 17. We won't be looking at those, but if you wanted to look, that's where it was described. But with the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross, and the cross was a victory, not a defeat, that's important, came the new beginning, the inauguration of the kingdom. While Jesus walked the earth, he said, the kingdom has come near, or you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. He gave many descriptions of what the kingdom of, is like. But now, a new beginning has happened, and as verse 12 tells us, in the heavens, heavens from which the devil has been cast down, there is rejoicing from all who dwell in them. That is in verse 12. But the verse also tells us, Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. And if we were to read verses 15 to 17, we would read, Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commandment and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Now in verse 16, the woman is the church. The water spewed out of the serpent's mouth, a flood of words. The devil attempts to destroy the church from inside and from outside. He uses a flood of words, deceptions from false teachers. Let's give up discouragements from the compromisers and even demons to infiltrate, deceive and attempt to bring the church down. Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, we see that the churches were already under attack. Unable to destroy the church, the devil attacks the woman's offspring. Individual believers, people like you and me. But verse 11 says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Victory has been accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. 
And the blood of the Lamb has been shed, and the battle for our souls has been won. Unable to attack our souls, the devil is left with no other alternative but to attack our bodies and our minds, tempting to seduce, seduce us from faithfully following Jesus. The encouraging thing is that all such attacks are signs, not that Satan is winning, but rather that we have triumphed over Satan because we are in Christ. Hallelujah. And he, our glorious Lord Jesus, triumphed over Satan on the cross. The suffering of Christians, whether it is verbal or physical, is therefore an indication that all believers, past, present and future, have overcome the devil in Christ and thus follow the Lamb wherever he goes. The word of our testimony is our identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we identify our testimony with him, then that's the word of our testimony. Just as a guilty verdict against Jesus was overturned by his resurrection, even so our guilty verdict is reversed by our identification with his resurrection. Hallelujah! They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death refers to all degrees of suffering. They may be suffered up to the point of death, including martyrdom. I believe this line of this verse, they did not love their lives so much, is about who we love the most, Jesus or ourselves. Are we going to spend every minute of every day loving our Lord Jesus, Saviour, Jesus Christ, are we going to do that? Are we going to imprison ourselves in a constant need for self-preservation? Now, not forgetting there are genuine needs. And we need to provide for our friends, our families, our neighbours, perhaps, even our enemies. Can we love Jesus more than we value our own lives? Years ago, I read a very challenging book called Is Life So Dear? by Brother Andrew. This book challenged me, uh, affected me very deeply actually. As my copy of this book is in storage, I decided <laughs> to read a recommendation about it on Goodreads. And this recommendation is as challenging as the book itself. It's about a man called Ibrahim, and it's about the book, Is Life So Dear? That book presents a question I had to answer right after my conversion from Islam into Christianity. Soon as I was able, by the grace of the Lord, to say, No, Lord, nothing is too dear for you. Give me liberty or I die, and I will do anything for the precious freedom you are giving me. Then persecution followed. That day I was beaten up for the mosque for my apostasy. Passages of this book came to my mind as it was later confiscated. It gave me a lot of comfort, even after it was confiscated from me. I wrote them once again, and they sent me another copy, and I read it again with joy and comfort. The book builds on what Patrick Henry said, Is life so dear, or peace so sweet, as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery, 
Forbid it, almighty God. This book helped me say yes to persecution if and when it came. Today, as a Christian and a US citizen, Patrick Henry's words have become a life motto for me in every aspect of my life as I come to a point where I have to make choices in the interest of freedom, human dignity and taking up the cross. So finally, what about us? What about our part in making known the victory that our Lord Jesus Christ won? Making that known to a wider world. In every true conversion like Ibrahim's, from Islam to Christianity, or like me from a messed up life to knowing the real Jesus, there is a turning. A turning from sin to Jesus Christ, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and from idols to serve the true and living God. There is also a rescue a wonderful rescue from the dominion of darkness and a bringing us into the kingdom of the Son God loves. As John Sott has written, every Christian conversion involves a power encounter in which the devil is obliged to relax his hold on someone's life and the superior power of Christ is demonstrated. As Jesus' life involves conflict, so will ours. As his life was victorious, so will ours, because we are in him. If we do our own works, then we and they will fail. If we do what God gives us to do and rely on his strength and power to fulfill such works, then we will increasingly spread abroad the knowledge of Jesus and be filled with his joy. Truly amazing when we go to Purdy Court, how much joy it gives to just be there with these people, telling them about Jesus. We cannot defeat the devil, that raging lion who goes around for someone to devour, and we don't need to. Jesus has already defeated him. We simply need to stand against him in the Lord's strength, clothed with the armour of God, Praying in the Spirit, using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our victory consists of entering into the victory of Jesus Christ and all the blessings that are associated with that. And we read in the Bible, don't we? God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like to leave you with that. God gives us the victory through the one who has got the victory in the first place, our Lord Jesus Christ, gives us that victory. Hallelujah.